1: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
2: Hello, Egg Chasers. It's the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast, the podcast about rugby that doesn't take itself or the game too seriously. Back for a second podcast of the week, and this one looking at another classic game and one of the best club matches ever the 2001 Heineken Cup final between Leicester Tigers and Stade Francais at the um, it was at the uh, not stade de france the Par- Parc des Princes Parc des Princes that's quite right you, the voice you just heard there was Phil as ever hello phil hello tim and the person you can hear moving around the <laughs> tablet or whatever it is is jb in some egg chaser stash are you uh,
0: no no i'm not i mean oh, like stash did we talk H stash if we Talk H, finest club in Manchester.
2: So, with today's game, thank you for watching. If you haven't watched, you can just hit pause right now. Go to YouTube, type in Leicester versus Stade Français 2001. Watch an amazing game of rugby, and then come back and, and hear us talk about it. Or do yeah, it in whatever, do it in whatever order you like. But um, thank you very much for listening. Let's start though by setting the scene because we're going back 19 years now. Phil, what set the scene for this game? And what it meant at the time, and what where the clubs were. So, in the context at this point in time, it was the
1: biggest um, the biggest English club at the time, un- unquestionably. Leicester had won back to back to
0: back. I'm, I'm going I'm
2: to have to stop you, Phil JB. Every time you move that, it makes a big noise. <laughs> so you're just going to have to get it get it settled in one spot.
0: No worries.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to stop you. Just get yourself in one reclined chaise long position. Get comfortable. Stay hey there. No. Oh, good lad. There he you,
1: is. Beautiful. I know that pose. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Leic- Leicester were. This was part of four consecutive Premiership titles. Or this was in the middle of four consecutive Premiership titles. They'd won three up to that point, three consecutively. Um, they obviously were competing the Heineken Cup final for the second time. They lost it, I think, four years previously to breathe. Um, So they they were unquestionably the biggest team in England at that time. Stade Francais were up there. It was either them or Toulouse who were the biggest team in France. Um, Stade Francais had won two of the last three titles before 2001 and went on to win the following two titles after 2001. So that gives you some background into just how how well these teams were performing at that time and how big a game it was at that time. Just to add as well, both teams contributed a huge number of players to the international setup over an extended period of time. I mean, the, the Leicester team, the Leicester pack, including the five subs on the bench, were all England English players, England, um, and most of them were England internationals as well.
2: It's pretty phenomenal um, lineups actually. But um w- one thing as well, it's quite rare to happen that a a team will effectively have a home final because Stade Francais play their games or played their games back then at the like literally in much like um Murrayfield uh, not Murrayfield. Yeah Murrayfield has the and, and the, the Arms Park, as it was, had the pitch yep. backing onto it. Um, th- that's exactly what the um, Parc de France had with Stade Francais playing right there. And so i it that... was
0: confused, right? So Stade, Stade Francais used to work, play, or maybe still do play, in Saint-Denis. Now, it's not, is Saint-Denis not where Stade de France is? Not Parc de France.
1: Don't know. I don't know. because <laughs> I haven't got a clue, mate. I've I've never been to either of them.
0: I've been to Stade de France, and it is god awful. It is <laughs> potentially one of the worst places that I that I have been to. It's not the worst.
1: So Stade de France, you've got the running track round the pitch, haven't you? Or am
2: I thinking of? I Didn't remember. I watched no. That was I... that was racing uh, before they moved to their new Thunderdome. Uh...
0: Yeah, so I remember watching, I went to watch a club game and I watched uh, Claremont versus Stad when Stad's number one player was Paul Williams, the fullback. Okay, yeah. So, not good times.
1: <laughs> uh, he I must have at, crossed over with Parise. Uh
0: He, oh yeah, so he was playing at the same time as Parise, also playing, I'm going to say, was Digby Aione.
1: You digby Iwani. Digby Iwani.
0: Digby Wani. Uh yeah, him. Um I'm trying to think of who else. Maybe even the front. It wasn't a garbage team, but it wasn't a great team. Yeah, well,
1: they, they had this this period here where it was them and Toulouse seemed to be the, the two best teams in France, and then quite a long period um of um poor performances, shall we say? Extended period of poor We're performances. Sorry? When the money ran out, yes, and before the money came
0: back. So, Richard, as I understand it, Richard Paul Jones—I never said this before. I will say again—is was the last player to play for England when he was a semi-pro.
1: Ah, okay. So he played. And I'm not in sure he was ninety-five or something
0: like that. No, it was after that, and the, and I think the reason it happened was because he was. Part-time of France, not sorry, Staff say not because he wasn't good enough, uh, but because he owned a publishing and printing business. <laughs> I'm, I'm just gonna make
2: what well, I'm gonna make one little observation for future podcasts. JB, your TMO shipping container is right next door to thousands of pounds of audio <laughs> equipment. <laughs> and you're sat talking to us through a tablet. Yeah, sorry, man.
0: Just, I just wanted to keep it real. <laughs>
2: um right, so um what was i going to say um i've completely forgotten what i was going to say never mind it doesn't matter obviously well, not, I will obviously say
0: not this. important um so this was a time when i was absolutely obsessed by not only english english rugby the premiership which i loved uh, but also i sort of had half an eye on the welsh competition too because the welsh competition at, at that time when i first got into it it seemed quite sexy And one of the teams that looked really, really good were Swansea, who had people like Gibbs. Uh, I'm trying to think of of the name of the other centre. They had a big ginger centre. The reason that I know about this centre is because a guy in my school called uh, Owen, who was a year younger than me, his dad was a criminal solicitor and had represented him in a case. I can't remember what the hell his name was. Uh, Mark Taylor. uh, There was basically a load of good guys playing, playing Swansea at the time. Leicester Tigers crushed them 41-10. In the quarterfinals, yes, that was. That,
1: yeah, because Swan, yes. Swansea qualified second in their group in that year. Um, the, the qualifying teams from, from that, so Gloucester, Cardiff, Stade Francais, Pau, Leicester, Swansea, Munster and Biarritz. So a, a few of the, um, well, two Welsh teams qualifying, no no <coughs> Leinster. Not even close. Uh, and um, Bia Ritz, who used to be a, a powerhouse of um, Heineken Cup rugby.
2: Well, one of my yeah. observations about this game, and tying it into something we talked about on the on the previous podcast with Bernard Laporte's ideas for a global club game, is once again we've watched another Heineken Cup match where the atmosphere was absolutely incredible and this is exactly the reason why this competition has to stay.
1: Yes, it's exactly right. The atmosphere was incredible and it was it was probably even more incredible because it was in Paris because the Prisians don't travel all that well outside of Paris a lot of the other French teams do but but not the, the Prisians but it was a brilliant atmosphere particularly when um, Stimson was kicking for sticks and he was getting booed and hissed as he should be as you want in a French yes, environment if that's if that's in Scotland or in England you don't want it if it's in France or Argentina crack on lads yes yeah,
0: when was the last time by the way three Canadians played a European Cup final that is a great that's a back.
2: great question or, like I, I i couldn't think of another canadian who'd played in a heineken cup final
1: presumably. Kudmore. Kudmore. Oh, oh, most, oh, other
2: than yeah Cuddles yeah, um played in a final and lost but um i i meant to say what has won a heineken cup um well one
0: lost and sorry one won, one, one and two, yeah, two lost yeah winston so, stanley yeah. for Leicester
2: and morgan williams and mike james for stad yeah.
0: so presumably that means a minus one. It's worse than not winning. <laughs> well, yeah, and and add
1: um, additional ones for cuddles. Yeah, he probably lost a couple as well, hasn't he?
0: Yeah, minus three Canadians and won the European
1: <laughs> Cup. Uh, was there any playing at Wasps when they won it? Wasps. I, just, I know Wasps have had a few Canadians. Have they? Who, who are you thinking of? I can't think of any. Of them. Um, uh, it's probably a bit earlier. The big one. Um oh the prop. No Rod
2: Snow. No, Rod Snow was Newport no, it
1: was Norm Hadley. Oh
2: yeah. Nope. Mm.
1: The, the massive Stormy Norman who was um second row, but he he's way before Wasps won the
2: Gareth Reese was at Cardiff. Was he? Uh, Canadian fly half. Uh,
1: Gareth Reese also played for Wasps for He played break. for WASPs.
2: Oh there you go. Yeah, that, wasps, that
1: and, wasps and Quinns. But again earlier than because this it probably shows the trajectory of Canadian rugby. that At that point in time, 2001, so in the 90s, they were a potential powerhouse, did a lot of good players. Early 2000s, probably a similar boat, albeit declining. And now, hardly any. Hardly any play in um, well, top-tier rugby outside of uh,
0: Major League rugby. I mean, you can sort of understand it, though, can't you? If Canadian rugby has been treading water, which it largely has, actually... What was required to play for Leicester Tigers and Stadford say just wouldn't cut it now. You can't just show up to a professional rugby club being a little bit talented or a little bit big. You've got to be playing this game for a long, long time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You can't just be uh, the big lad. No. You've, you've got to be bloody good.
2: That, 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 that you saying you can't just be the big lad reminds me of one of the things from this. So Bill McLaren was one of the commentators and, yeah. um, and it's a reminder to me that, that great commentators don't you don't need to bring the stats. Sometimes just say it as you see it. It doesn't need to be clever. It doesn't need to be fluffy. It doesn't need to be full of stats. And Bill McLaren was amazing because he would say things like Tim Stimpson, Tim Stimpson, oh he's a big strong fella.
0: Sometimes <laughs> that's sometimes
2: that's all you need. And um, Diego Dominguez, as he kept saying. Yes, was, um, I
1: that. He, Diego Dominguez. Dominguez, um, he, but he he constantly referred to him as the little lad or the little man. Well, um, him and also stature. the French centre. Yeah, uh, Comba. The 13, both of them he
2: kept on saying.
0: Well, by the, by the end of the game, they actually had a complex. <laughs> <They> <laughs> disappeared. So, um,
2: you know, in the, in the classic Jonah Lomu rugby game, Bill McLaren has that, oh, he's borrowing like a demented mole there at the yeah. breakdown. Well, digging like a demented mole. Well, yeah, digging like a demented mole. Uh, well, he used the phrase, and I don't know if this is pre-Jonah Lomu rugby or post-Jonah Lomu rugby, but he said um, he described one of the players as being like a demented setsy fly.
0: Yeah, yeah. I don't know what a sexy fly is. What is a sexy
2: fly? I'm assuming it's an African fly of some kind. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> might be the precursor to your description of Marlin Yard JB as a um running like a a uh, house well, fly.
0: housefly. You're of the housefly. Back in the day, not anymore. Um, <laughs> I did notice that, and
1: I rewound it to to be like, what has he actually said?
2: Okay, a sexy fly is sexy fly. is yes, it's a fly, and um, where's it from? Yeah, it's found in Africa, Central Africa.
0: There you go. The obvious analogy, which the casual fan would definitely pick up on. <laughs> <laughs> and this game was
1: four years after uh, Jonah Lomu Ruby was released. So, so what struck
0: is- me about the commentary was how accurate Jonah Lomu Ruby was. <laughs> it felt like I'd seen. It felt like I'd seen the game before.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have Bill Beaumont in uh, in this game with very very wooden. No <laughs> oh, reading off a, a sheet of paper. We did. Now, it's fair to
0: say, at some point in history, Jonathan Davis has come across Morgan Stanley. Sorry, not Morgan Stanley, that's a credit card. Morgan um, Williams. Morgan Williams. And he <laughs> inexplicably hates him.
1: He really had a, a beating He his body.
0: really hates him. Now, this guy can't be bad. I mean, Stan Francais are winning. Pretty much everything in sight. You know, he's obviously not a bad scrum half, but according to Jonathan, Jonathan Davis, he's probably the worst scrum half on the planet. <laughs> worst
1: scrum half to ever have played the game.
0: Yeah. yeah it was an interesting one because um, Morgan Williams
2: didn't have a great start to the game. And then it almost felt like, oh, Jonathan Davis' mind's made up. Yeah. He's yeah. useless. Whatever he does now, I'm picking at it. He's yeah, well, the best. Could-
1: after, after that first five or ten minutes where a couple of his passes were were slow and misaligned, he had a great game. He was
0: covering everywhere. Well, the best ones for that, commentary-wise, are Eddie and Steve from Super League, who <laughs> seemed to decide how a player was going to play before the game and then carry on that narrative regardless who played well. I remember them saying about Stuart Fielding after his world record transfer to Wigan, £500,000. He's got the fire in their belly tonight, Stuart Fielding. He was awful. And he remained <laughs> awful for two years after that.
1: <laughs> but they've made their mind up.
0: they made their mind up. They and, made their mind up. Eddie on... and Steve read made them... I mean, that is the greatest commentary joke of all time, Eddie and <laughs> there's no There's no real debate about it. <laughs>
1: um, Jonathan Davis, what was totally remarkable is he has not changed. So the, the overall production of rugby is, these days is is way beyond anything we saw in the early 2000s. It's a totally different ball game, except Jonathan Davies. The He was identical yeah. then as he is this year. I, I, I Absolutely identical. You could snip bits of commentary and play them now, and you would not be able to tell the
0: difference. It's
1: only yeah, remarkable, remarkable.
0: remarkable. Timeless. Particularly considering that he's commentating on Austin Healy. <laughs> yes, yeah. Who
1: who is a very very good commentator now?
0: Yes, quite. you had, did, did well, you, had, you, do... you, had you had
2: like um you had a big chunk of, of BT's broadcasting team on the field. Yes, At, well, Ben did K and know... Austin. Yeah, and Andy Good and, and contributor. Goode. Goody does a little bit. Sorry, Andrew Good as Bill McLaren. Young and Andrew
1: Good. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you notice who was uh, doing the pitch side comms on that video? No. no,
2: Nick Mullins. Was oh really? no, I did notice that. I did notice that. Yeah, yes,
1: twice, twice in the yeah. game uh, they went that, to to Nick Mullins. Tell that side. Tim
0: could
2: become the
1: next Nick, Nick, Nick Mullins if he just keeps his nose clean. I'm telling you. Wow, <laughs> watch this space. Wow. Um, yeah, they they went to him twice. His first one was um, talking about um, how the games moved on from Leicester's previous visit to the Heineken Cup final about four years earlier. Because this time, Dean Richards has got uh, an earpiece and is in constant communication with <laughs> Phil, Phil Larder <laughs> yeah. and Rory Underwood.
0: Yeah, but I, mean, I didn't realise Rory Underwood was a coach. <laughs> I didn't at all. So I had no idea he had any coaching pedigree.
1: He was backs to attack with Phil Larder as defence
2: coach. So, I, mean, I had no happened? idea about that as Rory Underwood. I thought he was just a player legend that, that would do a bit... He might have been on the board at one point or something, but he was still an RAF. The... Yeah, he might be, but just an RAF pilot, wasn't he?
0: Yeah. Is that his brother?
2: No, no, no. R- Rory it? Underwood was the RAF Rory. pilot.
0: Yeah, okay. So I think him and Ben Kay are actually still on the rugby committee of Leicester. Yeah, yeah.
2: more than I, I think you're right. Yeah. I, I think I him, think him Simon Cohen,
0: maybe Joe Glenn, they've got like, a, like do you know the, the four ways that they used to do in the coalition government. It's that kind of thing. <laughs> um,
1: just, just before we get into too much of the action. What did you make of the kit?
0: I really like the white socks of Stad. I thought the white socks of Stad really set off the red and the yeah, blue. I the it. kit
2: I want, I like France wearing tricolore tricolour kit. So they have one, I don't care which order it is in, yeah. but white, blue, and red, three separate colours for short socks and shirt. Looks so, awesome.
0: Weirdly, yeah. I do not look at that Stad kit and think France. No, I don't. Even, yeah, even though it is the right colours, it is very unique to Stad. And I don't know how they pulled it off, but it, it's a unique look, which yeah, has well, not be replicated. The lightning bolts. Yeah. Haven't you got that shirt in the dungeon? I, sadly not. I've been hunting for the blue Stad, the electric blue Stad shirt, for as long as I can remember. You've because got they a went similar one, haven't you? Yeah, I've got a pink one with oh, blue yeah. lightning bolts. Oh, uh, okay. Is that the one that but, Haskell, about the time yes. Haskell was there? yes. So I think, I strongly think they should go back to the to the blue and red.
1: I, I love that kit. I it's, think it's such a it's nice awesome. kit. And it is so, like the colour palette is so unique that like, no one's even close to that.
0: And I think it's because it's, it's like a shiny, glossy, it's like a, a satin, almost.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Leicester. Oh, Leicester's was classic. Absolute classic kit. And I love that it is. It's two years before England uh, won the World Cup, and so it is. It's an old school kit. You could have taken apart from if you dropped, dropped maybe two or three of the sponsors from it because there were sponsors everywhere. If you dropped two or three of the sponsors, it could have been an identical kit, identical material to a kit in the 1950s or 1960s.
0: Mm. Yeah, I'm gonna say that stad kit was, is probably my favorite kit of all time. Wow, favorite club kit of all time. I loved it. I thought it was awesome.
2: I loved it as well. One thing I did notice with some of the Stad players and a couple of the Leicester players as well, that I'm wondering when this, when we crossed the point where this didn't happen anymore, but because there was so much shoeing going on still, guys wearing shin pads.
1: I didn't notice that. Yeah. I, there, there was, that. Yeah,
2: like, there, I remember when I was younger, front rows would wear shin pads. Hookers always didn't wore work. shin pads. Yeah. But I don't know when that stopped.
0: Hmm. but it it was still going on in 2001 I always assumed that we wore shin pads just because we've got to take them out of our football bags that's (laughs) honestly what I thought
2: (laughs) I thought, I think it might be to do with, I remember hookers used to wear it because like the other hooker would strike
0: yeah striking, because
2: it was actually you'd actually compete with a strike at the scrum it wasn't fed in to the scrum (laughs) arse
0: to the second feet someone was telling me the other day um well I, I actually I, I remember who told me now, and I'm not gonna really embarrass him by putting his name out there. But there is a Brian Moore instructional video of how to hook a ball, which apparently is hilarious. And it's Brian Moore telling you how to hook a ball from a decade ago, after he'd already been retired a couple of decades probably, leaning on his garden chair, and he just basically back heels the backheels the ball.
2: Right, that's our that's next week's review.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um the game, mm. so it's a it. It's not a great game. <laughs> it's it's an interesting game. It's I, really, I really enjoyed it.
0: I so, enjoyed the last time. I, I, I did enjoy it.
1: I, I, mean, I enjoyed it, but it was, I, I enjoyed things that I. So if that was a game today, I don't think I'd enjoy it particularly. But because of the because I was watching it with the lens that this is 19 years ago. <laughs> I really enjoyed it, and I enjoyed it like weird things. The how um, passionate both teams were, and how fired
0: up both packs were, was incredible. But they, were they that fired up? I mean, that, that's. I mean, I, one thing that struck me is you didn't see anyone go into contact for maybe two minutes. What? What at the start of the game? Yeah. There's five. It was five. But I think it's like the opening series of plays of like seven kicks.
1: There was a lot of kicking. There's a lot of well, kicking out of hand. Not particularly good kicking out of hand.
2: Yeah. It's strange that you kind of pick up on that. Cause it's weird how like just what I'm the feeling I'm left with, because all I remember was just frenetic running play and, and offloading all over the shop from both teams.
0: Well is that what you thought of before you watched it or after
2: no 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 like after the when when I come away with it, yes I was aware of a bit of kicking, but I I just remember watching it thinking God, this their lungs must have been absolutely busting.
0: That's fascinating. So I, uh, the way I describe what I saw is these teams were aware of tactics, but they weren't tactically aware. So uh, everything was kicked. I mean, they win the ball back on the halfway line, beautiful, beautiful counter-attacking ball for Stad. They kicked it. The opening salvo was seven kicks. Uh, everything was getting kicked. Even the try for uh, Leon Lloyd his first try the first was a one kick, a cross, and he tries to kick it again. Uh, Austin really team. breaks the line. It looks fabulous, but 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 by, by the way, and then he kicks it away. Like everything was kicked. That was I awful. That, that so, Austin yeah?
1: break. Yeah, in early on, it was a superb break. It's absolutely brilliant break, and he's just got uh, Dominici to either go round or draw to do something with, and he just grubbers it straight into his arms.
0: Yeah, I just... So the commentary team said there's a lot of kicking because of the organised nature of these defences. I thought, yeah, okay, that's fair. But at what point do you kick enough that they've dropped their men and then you have to have a go at the organised defences? And they never seem to answer that question. So the the kicking... I thought the kicking itself was fairly high quality-ish. I thought the organisation to return the kicks was not up to standard. But more importantly, the communication between the kicker and the chasers was basically non-existent. <laughs> like they had some of it there. So they were aware that they wanted to play a tactical game. They just weren't aware of the tactics. Well, the, the,
1: the tactical game. So Leicester won this. Um, and so Leicester won this. And Leicester had an incredibly experienced pack on the, on the field and an incredibly experienced leaders on the field. And I'd actually say that Leicester won this in spite of those players, not because <laughs> of them. Because, yeah. so Stad Francais had a very, very simple tactic, which was get into the Leicester half and take a shot at goal. Um, Dominguez had three or four drop goals, but scored, he scored one drop goal, but he scored nine, nine, nine penalty <laughs> kicks. He missed one. Um, yeah, he missed missed one. He missed uh, two or three um drop goal attempts. But Stade Francais' tactic was just get into the Leicester half and have a shot of goal by any by any means possible. And Leicester continually gave him those opportunities. Now, that's so, so interesting, right? Because they were so you... lazy around the rook and uh, on the offside line, repeatedly <laughs> and just kept getting pinged for
0: the same stuff. So it's so interesting you mentioned that because all of my knowledge from this time, even though I watched all the rugby possible, and I really do mean all the rugby possible, most of my knowledge from this uh, period of time comes from Sky Sports, the rugby club. Yeah. And one of the things which is mentioned in analysis of Leicester Tigers is how street smart they are. Now, then (laughs) they called it street, street smart. Today, we'd call it plain stupid, but they'd give an example of leicester tigers giving away a penalty and the reason they gave away the penalties is to give away the three points not the not the seven points so there's an awful (laughs) lot of deliberate cheating from, from the tigers now nowadays that would be an almost certain yellow card i mean deliberate cheating is just a yellow card i can see that this leicester tigers team if the rules were as they are now basically not being on the field leicester gave away a huge number of stupid
1: penalties probably none more stupid than the one that Martin Johnson gave away, that got himself yellow carded and gave Diego Dominguez another three points, which was just a... um, He was slightly being held back from a... Very, very slightly. Very, very slightly. And he landed a couple of punches on one of the... um, on one of the uh, stad forwards, two metres away from the referee. Like he, he's not hidden by anyone, there's no one obstructing the referee's view, and he just lands two punches on the guy, gets himself yellow carded, and it's not like he didn't know that he was going to get yellow carded, because um, one of uh, Stad's most experienced player, the hooker, Landro, did a very, very similar
0: thing early on in the game, and got himself right. yellow carded. I'm glad you mentioned that, because I watched this episode, now i Admittedly, I, I was watching it during my one-hour constitutional um, <laughs> whilst walking. But I was watching it, and I, I can only assume he got yellow-carded for assisting a, a lift for the recent was So that was um,
1: the way that it was described in comms. But if you watch that replay, right at the end of it, he does throw a couple of punches. Ah, that makes so much more sense. Like- and, and the Yeah, the ref signals as well. The ref does signal a punch. I just thought that was
0: incredibly harsh for assisting a lift.
1: (laughs) Not in those days. Well, in those days, it would have been incredibly harsh. (laughs) Uh, uh, I I can I can sleep easy now. He also did throw a few punches.
2: Unpopular opinion, maybe, is I quite liked seeing a punch being punished with a yellow card, and perhaps like a you know when it's a really bad punch. Or, you know, th- then you reserve the red card for something really dirty and nasty. But if it's a punch that has kind of little material effect or impact, I- I'm quite happy with the yellow card. I quite like that. But all right, you know, here's not, you're actual... not allowed to say that these days.
0: Yeah. Well, here's which you're definitely not allowed to say. Um, I don't think Martin Johnson was very good. Oh, JB, how dare you? <laughs> he wasn't. Well, what? I had, Like... I'm not saying he wasn't good in his career. That'd be ridiculous. I was going to say you—you're talking, talking generally, generally yeah, not about this game. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, back to back, back to um, uh, Sky Sports Rugby Club. I remember that they, they did a montage about Martin Johnson, and it was literally a montage of him standing near rucks, swearing at referees. <laughs> well, it, it's
1: funny you should mention this because uh, I mean Martin Johnson is well one of the greatest captains ever. Lions captain, England World Cup winning captain, captain Leicester to quadruple back to back to back league titles, back to back Heineken Cup titles. I mean, in this game, the only time I noticed him was him doing that monumentally stupid punch and getting yeah. battered, and then fuming on the touchline for ten minutes. They kept but, on cutting to him on the touchline. Let's just
0: let's be very honest with ourselves now. Between the three of us and in front of the rest rest of the world, what is what is the defining Martin Johnson performance on a rugby field, and why? Uh,
1: World Cup final. Yeah, but why? What did Because he, because <laughs> he, he captain. Because sometimes, <laughs> sometimes the leadership skills are more important than the out-and-out performance of a
0: player. So ob- objectively. Well, no. So you, he, so
2: so I'm, I'm going to oh. jump in. Yeah, I would say the World Cup performance is is his defining moment. But as a player, he is a classic in the common parlance, tight headlock. He just hits rucks. Yeah. He takes yeah. care of his... He, he does all his work with no flash and no glamour so that other people can. And, but in that World Cup final, the the crucial drop goal was set up partly because Matt Dawson identified that there was a little gap, did the dummy and goes to make an extra 20 metres. But then Martin Johnson is the next man up, following up with a carry that got another five meters, five ten meters further forward. It's a brilliant carry, just before the ball gets passed back to, back to Wilkinson.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that Martin Johnson probably occupied a role in rugby which he probably couldn't have now, and that is someone who doesn't want the ball, a uh, non-carrying, non Non-car- because objectively, if you to look at the two of them. And say who would make it in today's modern game, it would be Ben K times a million because of what he can do carrying the ball. He was all he was a lot more action.
2: I think uh, I disagree. I
0: there think I
2: disagree. Answer. Yeah, I think I disagree. I think the they're never they're never held up as superstars. They are never the ones that have loads of people talking and writing about them, but people in teams. Understand how important guys like Martin Johnson
0: are. I don't doubt he was massively important for those teams that he played at that time. But I can't think of a player in the modern game who was like Martin Johnson. Well, perhaps England could have done with a tight headlock in the World Cup final. Maybe, maybe Martin Johnson. What was he, six foot four? Uh, six, six, seven. Wow. Okay. A lot, a lot bigger than I thought.
2: Ed, Ed Slater at Gloucester is one in the Premiership.
0: Ed Slater is a really good example, actually. That, that is, yeah, that is a pretty good example. Yeah. So, I, I do
2: understand what you mean. They were more in vogue back in the day. Like, remember when uh, Quinns had ollie Cone just a twenty-two stone,
0: twenty-two yeah. stone Wreck, lock wrecking machine. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think he covered himself in glory. Particularly this this game is where I'd end up. No, yeah. and and I would I would
1: agree with that. And partly because he didn't do that much around the field. Although, to be fair when you're on the wide shot, you can't see who's hitting rooks based on the resolution of the video that we saw. Um, yeah, you so might, might, might have hit 200 rooks in that game for all I know.
2: Yeah, and, and um, when when, but, when, uh, when analysis is done, uh, they get um, involvements is one of, one of the ways that players' performances are analysed and stripped back and measured. And I would, wouldn't mind betting that Martin Johnson is one of those guys that has more involvements than anyone else, but but more involvements... Don't get put on highlight reels than anybody else,
0: but yeah. really vital
2: contributions.
0: Yeah, I'm going to um, dr- drop a name here. E- 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 um, are you ready? Go on. So when I used to do another podcast from the dungeon, which I didn't, which I didn't, didn't, didn't speak on, but did happen in my house, um, I was chatting to John to John Wilkin, and John Wilkin, uh, rugby league legend. In case you don't, know, uh, I don't know, rugby league le- legend. And also very rude. Uh, so, yes, <laughs> two things can be true at once. Um, he was explaining that he didn't understand in rugby, and this kind of goes back to my Martin Johnson point, how are you going to have players who don't want to touch the ball? And he, he explained, I can't remember who he was talking about. I guess he must have been one of the Cell Sharks boys because they're so close. Uh, but he, he was explaining that he couldn't understand how these these players would basically say, don't give me the ball, don't give me the ball. I don't want to, don't want to see it. Uh, see the ball
1: one bit because they want to be doing the hard work Richard Hill is probably a good example of that kind of guy who's so important and he's always described as you'll never notice him but every team that he plays in will be better because he's in that team Mm. Um, on on the rugby league thing everything comes back to Sam Burgess of course I remember when like one of the critiques from, I can't remember who it was, but a rugby league player or former player, um, when he came across to Union, was one of the huge advantages of Sam Burgess was the fact that he was six foot four, six foot five, 18 and a half stone, but had an unbelievable engine on him. And so could hit, have carry after carry after carry and tackle after tackle and, and make 30 carries and 30 tackles, like 60 um, involvements a game. And if he's playing rugby union, whether it's centre or back row or wherever you end up sticking him, he might have uh, half a dozen carries and half yeah. a dozen tackles a I, game. So, so his, his biggest asset in rugby league, which is the combination of his fitness and size, will you only get the size part of it? You don't get the, the fitness side?
0: Yeah, the, the captivity of Sam Burgess in rugby union is, is equally as cool as anything that you'll see on Tiger King. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, back to the game so yes who stood out in terms of the best players on, on the field for you guys
0: oh one I mean there's two really good ones but one guy head and shoulders uh, above everyone else on, I think you're on the good, field you might say the same person as me okay Tim have you got one, one, uh, one guy guy in particular I've got one guy in my mind yeah best player on the part I'm going to say Pat huh? Sorry, gone. Pat Howard.
1: So uh, Pat Howard would probably be the second best. For yeah, me.
0: what? There's someone better than Pat Howard on the field.
1: I, I thought Austin Healy was the best man on the yeah.
0: field. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to say. I, I, thought I thought Austin, Austin Healy was, Healy was he... very good, but this is why I think Pat Howard was better. Um, because when you watch these old games, you often see things. Well, no, you don't see anything really. You see, guys, who are you know, a bit quicker than the average bloke, or a bit more skillful, or, or, or whatnot. I actually watched Pat Howard do things I don't even see in the modern game. He, he, he was,
1: was ahead of the curve in that oh, game. Some of hugely. his offloads out the back and the timing of his passes, and like his crossfield kick that we mentioned before for the Leon, Leon Lloyd first try,
0: stuff like that was superb. Uh, his hands, are like his hands, close to the line, or he made he made one of the most simple moves in rugby look like something I've never seen before, which is he gets the ball, he is hitting a hard line, and then before he hits hard line, without breaking the step, he just passes the ball to to, to Leon Lloyd. And for all the world, I'm thinking that he's going to crush the ball in. It, he's just such a skillful player. There's a little behind-the-back behind uh, flick. You know, he was, I, I thought he was one of the few players in, in that team who would make it today in a modern rugby team.
2: I think another one was someone else who was ahead of the curve in, in the way that the game is now versus the way it was then Neil Back I yes. thought was his his turnovers were you didn't see you didn't see any jackaling going on with, with any other player and he was he was he was yep. doing stuff that, that that came in several years later
1: Yeah so he, I, I, he was I, superb on that and he, just on, on Neil Back as well so he the turnover that won the game, actually, the final turnover was yeah. him, and no one else would have got that. But also, the the second Leon Lloyd, oh no, it was his try. It was the Neil Back try. He started that with a midfield mispass to Leon Lloyd because wh- it was turnover ball. He identified it and executed mm-hmm. a midfield mispass that. I, I bet none of the other Leicester forwards could have executed that. i, I, I actually goes as far to say is probably none of the four other forwards on
0: that pitch could have yeah, executed what he did at that time. So I don't quite agree with you. So what, and this is one of the things that I was going to bring up, which is this was rugby pre-George Smith. So the Lions tour to Australia is in what? It's the next year, right? It's, it's this year. It's This is the last club game before it. Yeah, right. Weekend okay. for this. So this is George. So this has been the year George Smith comes on. Can you believe that? By the way, so this is George Smith is playing professional rugby at this time, and I think he might still be playing now somewhere. Uh, he was. I think he might have now retired. Just last season, he was at yeah. Bristol last year. He went somewhere else. I'm sure he went somewhere else. Let's have a quick look. Anyway, your point being? Uh, yeah, point is. He really did change the game because nobody jackled. So what I thought of watching um, Neil back is he did, he was the closest thing to, uh, to Smith before Smith, but he wasn't quite there. Like it wasn't quite the same thing. I always remember people in school, well, I say school, like when I was growing up, the coaches that I had, bearing in mind I had garbage coaches, so I shouldn't really listen to any of them. But they always said, like, oh, a good flanker is always on the ball first, you're always trailing the ball, you always get 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 getting those turnovers. But you're getting it by sheer hard work. They weren't quite the level that um Smith kind of invented and then core took to the ne- next took, took to the next level. That didn't really come in, I don't think, until about a year or so later.
2: Well, the 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 number seven that was the the blueprint for like modern rugby was Michael Jones. For New Zealand in the late 80s, early 90s, he was just the had the most incredible engine. Was a, a perfect link player who would arrive at right place, right time. But I think Neil Back was a brilliant link player, but added this um this ability to do to do work on the floor and turn turn defence into attack.
0: Yeah, he had the floor work, but it was kind of like every loose ball was Neil Back's.
1: Yeah, and he he had an incredible engine as well. He did have,
2: yeah, he did. Back, he Do you did. think he
0: ever got over? Um, oh, what's that? Do you think he ever got over his incident in Leeds? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm sure he, he survived. I'm sure he eventually got over it.
0: I I, I hear that he still holds a massive grudge
1: because <laughs> I promised him I'd find uh, 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 the uh, Octoberfest uh, Leeds beer thing. I was a, a bit drunk and he was queuing to get in. And I promised him that I'd find a bouncer who, who um, knew rugby. This was in about 2010. He, he knew something <laughs> about rugby. Who would get him in and went inside and promptly forgot about it. And he had to stay queuing. Poor <laughs> old Neil back. Whoops.
0: <laughs> Never recovered. Never recovered. No.
1: Um, it was a, quite a turnaround as well in the last 10 or 20 minutes. For Leicester, wasn't it? Because they were um, twenty. What was it? Twenty-one ten
0: down. Yeah. So, so annoyingly, there was no score on the TV and there was no clock. So I thought it was a lot more even. In fact, I thought Leicester went quite far ahead because they were they were two tries to zero. In the end, they were they were three tries to zero. Turns out, I was completely wrong.
1: Yeah, their, their second try, I think, only brought them level at about either twenty-one all or twenty-four <laughs> all, just because they'd been they'd been so um, careless with the, the sheer number of stupid penalties that they repeatedly
0: gave away. And I, just I wonder, didn't learn from. I wonder if it says something about the standards of kicking back in the day, which was you might be able to get away with that if you were doing it. I don't know, mind you, they weren't bad kickers back in the day. I mean, I'm just thinking who they'd be playing against like Mercier at Gloucester or Grayson uh, or probably or Wilkinson at Newcastle or Grayson at Northampton. I mean, they weren't they didn't have bad kickers but maybe they could get away with giving away all all those penalties. And then how do you say his name? Dominguez? No, how does McLaren say his name?
2: Dominguez. Dominguez.
0: Dominguez just puts on a masterclass.
1: Dominguez is kicking was uh, something else he he did he missed one uh, off the tee which was actually one of the easier ones um, early in the second half that he just went to to give it a little dink and um, yeah just slightly mistimed it miscued it and pulled it
0: do you know the other thing which stood out to me and this sounds crazy though I think this Leicester team in a lot of ways is underrated so bear with me uh, the back division, in, in, in particular, outside of Austin Healy, who was in out of the England squad, there's no real established internationals there. Even Jordan Murphy took a hell of a time to get into get into the Ireland squad. Um, then you've got uh, oh, don't uh, you don't really count count uh, Canada as a Tier One nation. Well, but Leon Pat, Lloyd, Pat Howard was
2: a, a an international player of repute.
0: But well, yeah, Pat Howard left Australia because he wasn't getting because he wasn't getting a game. Yeah. So, And then you've got Goody, um, Leon Lloyd, mm. uh, and, and, and Stimson. They, they all played international, but they were never regulars. Yeah, well, um,
1: Stimson was more down to injury, wasn't it?
0: I don't know, because I remember him playing a lot. An awful lot. So he might be. Have I misremembered this? Was he the one that didn't quite finish the try away in South Africa? For either the Lions or England, I'm guessing it's England.
2: He went on the he went on the 97 Lions tour, but
0: I think did he? Did, I'm sure something gets kicked. Yeah, I think it's a lion. I'm sure it's a lion. Something gets kicked through. And no, it's England. I'm sure, it's England though. And he needs to score for a, a historic Test victory, and he can't quite get it down.
2: I I don't remember, but he, I'm, sure, I'm not doubting you for a second.
0: You shouldn't doubt me ever,
2: ever.
1: <laughs> Even when you say the beast
2: has won uh, two World Cups,
0: i certainly has. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, one of my t- one of my takeaways from this game was uh, there was a lot of high risk rugby. Like you say, there was there was not many percentages played. It was well, the kicking was a, a little bit aimless. I think that was more down to the time than than poor execution per se. Uh, that was just that was just how it was we, we, you can 't comp- you, you have to compare apples with apples, uh, and so you have to give some allowances for the time period we were watching but the the risk that I quite enjoyed in this game was the forwards offloading, and when it works, it is devastating and I think that 's something that we don 't see enough of there 's too much emphasis on collision and not enough emphasis on creating space for other people with an offload I understand it's high risk but it is high reward and both sets of forwards albeit like you say there was some clumsy things going on there were some stupid penalties given away they were trying to they were trying to let the boys play they
0: they were to a a certain degree and again this is I wonder if this is a product more of inept attacking rugby or anything else so now they're very structured aren't they in how they spread the field you know the various formations that they run but back then it struck me as they were just, quote-unquote, resourcing the rook to the nth degree. Like, every forward was there. So, I wonder if they was just saying, well, guys, look, we're all here. Shall we Shall we just have a little, you know, a little scramble forward, then see if we can offload? And it, it weren't really... I tell you, he played very well doing this. Um, Dorian West. Dorian West could shift. Yeah, he carried well a few times. And
1: there were the, the Leicester... Um, team did seem like the point that you're making, Tim. When when there was a turnover, they would look to quickly move the ball, so look to offload immediately, so turn over, pick it up, play it back, and then spread it wide, which, which is definitely a more, or I'd think of it as a more modern tactic. You think of teams like um, Scarlets or, or
0: Connacht doing that better. Yeah, I think the big difference is there just is there wasn't really the space to do it. Or if there was, it's like um, like lax defense. So imagine having all your forwards honeypotting like they were then. Now you you just go nowhere fast. I mean, it, it, it'd be killed me killed me. Killed oh no me. no no!
2: Of course, I'm absolutely right. I'm just I'm just kind of making the point that um, if I don't know if it's that defenses are so exactly what you're saying that they fan out so much that it's harder to break down, or whether it's a kind of number crunch percentages thing, but. I, I think what was in these games that we're watching that is lacking a bit now is that kind of ambition from from forwards really to to not just try and bust a hole with a physical collision. But I think that's probably a consequence of the way the defences
0: are set up. Do you not know think the big thing thing that is missing is the lack of a multi-phase plan? So it's very much like let's go, let's run a move, then the, then the pack show up and they do a little bit of juggling. And then they move it wide and then they sort of run out of ideas and kick it.
1: Yeah. You probably described uh, more phases than there ever were actually in that game before <laughs> kicking it because it was three phases and then kick it. Actually, yeah. the, the only time uh, when it went more phases than that pretty much from both teams was um, right at the end when Stimson's conversion from the touchline was actually the most important kick of the game because it meant that um, Stade Français had to score a try rather than just get a penalty.
0: Yeah, Stimson's kicking throughout his career was awesome. Uh, it haunts me because I remember him sticking one over at the. Do you remember when he kicked one at the Forest Ground? Is it Forest Ground? Well, what's not the Forest Ground called? County Ground. County Ground. Uh, sorry, and it, it. I think it must have gone off all three posts. It definitely went off two posts. <laughs> To win the game against Scarlets, I can't remember. Was that a few years later? Yeah, it might have been on the way to. It might be the, the year after actually.
1: Well, Stimpson he won five consecutive premierships because really? he won the year before. He won the year before Leicester's four um, premiership run with Newcastle in ninety-seven. You're right. I want to say, and then he then he went back to Newcastle afterwards. He was at Leeds for a bit as well. Was we'll he? Yeah wow very muscular jaw he he was a big strong boy as um uh, bill McLaren parent, said big a big rib- strong fella big yeah, strong
2: big, fella no,
0: how big was he 64 six, yeah 63 64 no he was
2: yeah he was he was he was a big unit
0: so i i, I thought is he big? 6, six,
2: three, so, and,
1: six he's listed as 63 and 105 kg yeah Bloody hell big back he in, is big well so so that is so that's 16 and a half stone and when um, Patrick Tobacco came on, um, Bill McCurran said he's a big, strong boy. He's six foot six, which is big. But he then said he's approaching 16 stone for <laughs> for a lock forward, <laughs> which is not big.
0: Ooh, watch out.
1: <laughs> Closing thoughts on this?
0: Uh, Tim Stimms is a lot bigger than I thought <laughs> it's a
2: great closing thought
0: <laughs> a lot bigger closing um, thoughts are uh, this Leicester team was amazing my closing thoughts are this um, the game is enjoyable because I think the, the last uh, this last team were probably one of the best club teams ever to grace rugby it also makes the current situation the Leicester by themselves all the more unpalatable you know, when you see what the institution has it has achieved, you know, the success that they've had, where all those players came from and, and, this, and the systems and the values that they grew up with, compared to what's happening at at, um, at that club now, it just puts it in so much more of a, more of a stark, uh, uh, stark stark contrast. So that's my role uh, uh, takeaway. Leicester, get your house in order.
2: Yeah, um, that, that was exactly almost it's very very similar. My main takeaway was. Leicester are a club that need a really horrible front five of local lads. Yeah, there you go that that that'll that'll solve everything for them. Back to basics.
0: Yep. where are you going to find? Problem is, where are you going to find local lads the size of um, Lavanini?
1: <laughs> well, you, you can bring, have... bring them in from Bristol, like Genji. <laughs> well, they've,
2: they've done yeah. it. Who's, that, who's that prop? I can't remember the. the I've forgotten the, the the name of the prop. The young. Hey, no, the young lad that's... Oh, the
0: new one. The yeah. New one.
2: yeah, Well, him. There's a perfect example. Him. <laughs> <laughs> they that just guy. need Not nasty... That's... They need some... Wh- wherever it comes from, it doesn't have to be local lads, but they need horrible, horrible players.
0: Well, you know, they had Ed Slater. There you <laughs> the go. Local, exactly. Local, lad, local lads.
2: Hor- horrible, hey, horrible well, player did, in all the best ways. Good well, Why did you
0: round, round up with this. Uh, Leicester actually announced today that Borthwick is going to be head coach. Yes. Yeah. So that was hot off the press. Not that anyone didn't know this, but uh, that means Jordan Murphy has been rewarded for all his success. <laughs> in <terms> of, <laughs> to, to Rugby. He, he, he kept them up last season. Yeah. What yeah. a farce.
1: And on that what bombshell.
2: Yeah. That's something for us to discuss on Sunday. We're at Rugby Podcast on Twitter. Um, oh, uh, game next week
0: nope st- st- still all off mate COVID-19 <laughs> <laughs> very good oh, hey!
1: let's let's dis- decide midweek yeah fine done we'll, we'll set some homework on Twitter
2: done thank you very much for listening hit subscribe and we'll be back with another podcast soon
0: hi I'm Daniel founder of Pretty Litter